Hello and welcome to the Tree Travel Podcast with me, Laura Sanders. This week we're talking about far-flung adventures with children and the life lessons learned along the way. Kate Wickers is a travel journalist and author whose debut book, Shape of a Boy, is a memoir about travelling with her husband and three sons across the world, from Borneo to Cambodia, Mexico to Thailand and everywhere in between. Each chapter of the book is a different family trip and includes a life lesson her three boys learnt, as well as the laughs, cries and experiences they shared along the way. During this episode, Kate and I talk about some of the holidays in detail before she answers some questions from listeners. I hope you enjoy it and if you haven't already, hit subscribe so you never miss out on a new episode. And you can see more from Kate and all of my guests on social media by searching The True Travel Podcast. Hi Kate, it's lovely to have you on the podcast. Nice to finally meet you and a big congratulations I believe because your book's just made the Independent Travel's um, favourite travel books, hasn't it? That's exciting. So how's everything been since the launch of the book? Yeah, it's been really exciting. I mean, it's a very steep learning curve as a debut author. Um, I've been a journalist for, you know, 20 odd years, but being an author is very different. At times, it's a little bit stressful, actually. And I didn't really think about that. You know, I've written a very personal book. And of course, you know, people are going to comment on that about, you know, my book, but also my family and the way I parent. Most of it's been really positive, I'm pleased to say. You know, I've had some lovely messages from readers and, uh, you know, that's that's the best bit, really. But yes, it has made it onto a couple of lists. So National Geographic Traveller, their top books for 2022 and then this week the independence which is an absolute thrill of course you know it's wonderful it was it was pictured they only pictured three books and mine was there along with eat pray love which is one of my all-time favorite books so that mine too pinch me moments I was like is that really my book there so that was very exciting yes (laughs) oh amazing well well deserved because as, I, as I've said to you on social media, I've loved reading this book. I've oh. laughed. I've I've felt a bit emotional actually getting to the end of it. I feel like I've watched your kids grow up from reading this book. And it's really funny. You know, you, you don't just talk about the big moments and the big adventures. You talk about the funny little moments as well, which I think it just it just makes it so relatable. So I'm not surprised in the slightest that you've made those lists and, and congratulations. Um, before we get on to the book, let's just hear a little bit more about you and your career as a travel journalist what what made you want to be a travel writer in the first place well it took me a little bit of time to decide what my true calling was in life I suppose I I, you know I had a few different jobs before I finally sort of settled down and went back to university I dropped out of a degree um, in early years education uh, because I decided I didn't think a teaching was right for me. I worked for the charity Children in Need as a uh, fundraiser and project manager for a while. And I'd always written, I mean, it's always been something I've done, uh, you know, from from little stories when I was young to um, community newsletters. So I don't know why I hadn't thought about it sooner, but immediately that I started my degree in media and communications, I it, it was a light bulb moment. Yes, this is what I should be doing. I should be writing. And I was lucky enough to have a very influential um, professor who said to me, "This she was a real whirlwind of an American lady. And she said to me, 
Do not wait until you've graduated. Send your stuff off now. Um, and by the time I graduated, I was um, regularly writing for the Telegraph and the Sunday Telegraph as a freelancer. And then very soon, I, you know, I, I had commissions with other magazines and newspapers. And my, her advice had been to write about something I loved. And that was travel. So originally, I thought I might be the next KAD. I was studying international relations as well. But travel was what I fell into um, because of this le one lecturer's advice. And I stuck with it. And I've never looked back. And I'm really glad now because it's fitted in so well with the family and uh, being a stay at home mum, which is what I was for for many years you know I kept writing but the boys have always come first that's incredible and incredible that you're already writing for those big um names before you came out of uni trust me I know how hard that is but interesting as well that you say it fitted nicely around family life which is not always the thing that freelancers tend to go to when they're talking about you know this line of work and particularly travel as well because it involves you traveling and and leaving the family behind at some point so it's really nice to hear you say that actually and coming on to the, the book a bit now firstly the title intrigued me shape of a boy what what made you choose that title what does it mean well it was because when we first started taking the boys to really really offbeat destinations I'm thinking of places like Borneo now when Freddie it was the day after his second birthday and we were on a plane to Borneo and um the reaction from friends um and family was often why are you taking a seven five-year-old and two-year-old to Borneo they won't remember it and this always struck me as something, such a bizarre thing to say, because if you take that attitude, then you might as well stick your kids in a cupboard until they're, you know, old enough to remember these things. It, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> and I really believe that everything, whether they remember it or not, um, goes into shaping them who they will be in the future. So every experience, every culture they've visited, every person they've met, you know, Everything goes into who they are growing up and the adults they become. And memory is a really difficult one to define. Um, it's often triggered by things, you know, like smells and um, a shared experience, things you talk about in a family, a photograph. Um, so that's where the title came from, Shape of a Boy. Yeah, and I think as you read this book, you totally get that. You do look at these experiences, particularly in Cambodia, when you had to explain to your young sons why some people might be walking around with missing limbs and, and trying to get that through to a child. It's hard for us to, to see. And did you travel a lot when you were young, Kate? When you were a child, were you taken to all of these exotic places? No, not really. Although we, you know, at that time, people weren't traveling abroad as much. Um, but we did go to places like Spain and France. I remember one particular road trip. Uh, we went by car and we drove through France and Switzerland into Spain. And my mum and dad ran out of money because, of course, you didn't have, you know, cash points and you, you took the money you thought you needed for the trip. And I think we were away for, you know, a good couple of weeks. And we ended up sleeping in, a, in my dad's car in a field. On our, I think it was like the last day. And... I remember waking, I think I was four at the time, and waking up and my dad was staring down the barrel of a very angry French farmer's shotgun. <laughs> what the hell were we doing in his field? 
so I've got a couple of, you know, funny memories of, of things like that. But mainly it was St. Ives, you know, and caravanning trips and, you know, the normal kind of stuff you do as a as a as a kid at that age. But um yeah, those those are the memories that I remember, the more unusual ones. Oh, that's that's hilarious. I can't say I, I have that in my childhood memories. I mean my family were very lucky my nan had a villa in Spain when we were growing up so every year it just didn't occur to us to go anywhere else we were very lucky to have that villa and to go to that every year and you know have wonderful memories from that so uh, and I think you know right from the age of six that's with the the age I first went there I do remember bits and pieces about it you do obviously you don't remember as much as when you go when you're older um, but you do remember. Yeah. During lockdown, we were all stuck at home. Ben had had his A-levels just cancelled. You know, Freddie was homeschooling and Josh was home from uni. And uh, we had a lot of time to chat about travels. And, you know, it always begins the same. You know, everybody's shouting out their own version of events. Everybody's got a you know a different memory of something. And I was really that was when I was really struck by how much they'd learned. And I keep journals. And uh, I dug out the journals and began reading them again because I had the time. And I thought, gosh, there might be a book in this. You know, the boys have, have learned so much haphazardly, I might add. I can't take the credit. I didn't design any of this trip. So they got a life lesson in mortality, you know, for example, in Mexico. It just happened. And that's where the idea came from. It's wonderful that you kept all of those journals I mean, I've kept journals traveling and I find it quite a commitment, actually, when you're away and you're having so much fun and to think, oh, I need to sit down now and take five minutes to write down. And and to take that time, you must be so grateful that you did and to have those memories now, uh, which everybody has read. Yeah, it's been it's a habit that I started very early on. So right when when Neil and I first went backpacking, we did, you know, we did our backpacking tours of Southeast Asia and went to India and Nepal and I kept a journal every day and I think when you're traveling like that for an extended period um, it's good to have something that you do that sort of grounds you every day it's like you know sometimes it can feel like a bit of a job but now looking back I think wow thank goodness I kept them all um, and I love dipping into them you know, and the boys now, they read episodes from my journals from when we were young and just, you know, going off on our adventures. And, um, you know, I hope it gives them a bit of inspiration as well. Absolutely. And what did they think of the book when it came out? Have they all read it? Yes. Yeah, so Ben, who is my is the middle one. So he's 20 now. Um, he is studying English at university. So, you know, he loves reading. He loves books. He was the one that I sent it to, to get the okay. So Josh, who is now 21, um, at the time, he said to Ben, you read it. You'll know if there's anything in there that we won't be happy with. He was doing an engineering degree at the time. So he everything was full on for him. And um, he has subsequently read it and loved it. But Ben was the one who, who read it and okayed it all. Um, I I wanted them to love the book. I didn't want them to read it and think, oh, my God, why has mum written about that? You know, I didn't want any embarrassment. Um, They love it. They absolutely love it. So Freddie, who is 16, um, he has dipped in and out of it. I'm not entirely sure he's read the whole thing. He promised promised me the other day. He said, mum, I think there's one or two chapters I still haven't read. I mean, he has got a lot on his plate at the moment. And he hates reading. I, you know, I have to tell you that. Um, 
So he will go back to it. He promised me as soon as his GCSEs are over, he's going to finish those last two chapters. <laughs> but, you know, they're all different. They're all different. Um, but he's super, they're all super proud of me. They're very excited about it. <laughs> oh, that's great. Because they could easily, like you say, be embarrassed by it or say, oh, mom, why, why are you, you know, publishing our family memories and letting everyone read them? So it, it is good that they love it and they, you know, it's, it's nice for them to cherish. It was so important. And I think, you know, what, what's lovely about this is when I've, I've put a box of books aside for you know the future when they've got families of their own I want them to be able to then give a book to their kids and you know it's it's yeah they they love the fact they've got this record so yes that was very important to me lovely let's talk a little bit more about the the book itself then and what's in it um so we'll start from the beginning so your first chapter was when you were expecting your eldest Josh it was in Israel and Jordan and you spoke a little bit about how um in a way being a pregnant lady in in, the, in that country and getting into some hairy situations it it sort of saved you a little bit well yes it did I had a few instances I you know it's never e- it wasn't easy at that time to be traveling as a journalist anyway uh you know you you were often met with a bit of suspicion even traveling and writing about something as innocuous as travel you know if 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 you went to an airport and they knew you were a journalist they'd ask you some questions and I was pulled over by security while traveling from Jerusalem down to Elat. I was going then overland into Jordan. And, you know, I was a fairly cool traveler in that I didn't, you know, it didn't phase me. I'd done enough traveling that I was happy doing that. And, um, you know, I'd had all my scans and everything looked good with the pregnancy. But I think the moment you're put in a vulnerable situation, and that was the first, I suddenly realized that it wasn't just me anymore. You know, I had this other little person who might have only been the size of an apple, but he was there. And, you know, I, I needed to look after him. And um, they kept me standing up uh, for quite a long time and were quite aggressive in their questioning. And I remembered that I had my scan photograph with me. And I told them I was pregnant and I wasn't sure if she believed me. So I pulled out the scan photograph and immediately she looked at it. She, I saw her soften, you know, and I, I was able to sit down and I got the plane on time and things. But I felt that Ernie, as I called Josh then, <laughs> that was my little pet name for him. I felt that he'd really kind of helped me get through that. And there were a few other instances on that trip as well that I felt being pregnant was in, suddenly in my favour. And I felt that we were a team. It was the first time I sort of felt, oh, gosh, he's not here yet, but we're already a team. And I had to, you know, from then on, of course, my priority was Josh. I, it wasn't just about my travelling. It was about Josh. And that's the way it could have been. But I think, you know, when you're in the very early stages of pregnancy and you're feeling really well, it's easy to forget that if it's your first pregnancy, so, yes, from then on, I was um, a lot, uh, you know, I, I kind of was more considered in what I was doing and the um, positions I was putting myself in while traveling. So, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I've spoken to, um, you know, female travel photographers, female journalists like yourself on this show. And they've all said that in some countries and in some cultures, it, it's been an advantage 
being a woman, not necessarily being a pregnant woman, but being a woman, being able to gain access to communities or to the women in those countries that a male writer or a male photographer wouldn't necessarily get. So I think in a way it's, you know, being a woman or being a pregnant woman, it, it does have some kind of power to it, doesn't it, in a way? And, and like you say, it almost saved you or certainly smoothed over that situation. Yeah, absolutely. And I did actually end up cancelling a couple of trips. I've, I did fly and travel quite a lot during that pregnancy because I was feeling so well. But after that trip, it did make me think, you know, and from that moment on, of course, my sons have been my priority you know, that's the way it is with motherhood. So, you know, that was my first lesson, really. It wasn't just me anymore. (laughs) Yeah. And it came quite early, didn't it, really? So prior to kids, prior to having a family, what was travel like for you? And how do you think it changed? At what point did it change? Was it the moment you found out you were expecting Josh? Or did it happen sort of a few months in, for instance, you know, with what happened in Israel and Jordan? Well, I've been covering a lot of adventure travel. That was really what I was kind of my my genre, really. You know, I wasn't writing about luxury hotels at that time. I was writing about the kind of places where you go and get flea bites. You know, so I was doing things like, you know, uh, I'd I'd written on the Inca Trail for the Rough Guides for a special edition called Women Travel, which was, you know, I still think of that. and, And that remains one of the highlights of my career. Um, I was writing adventure travel pieces for the Telegraph. So I was doing things like going and experiencing Tet in Vietnam, which is the new year, Um, walking Tiger Leaping Gorge in China. So staying in little, you know, huts en route where, you know, I mean, there was no mod cons. It it was adventures and it was quite rough travel, some of it. Um, So, you know, that couldn't continue. But um, it, it, and it was wonderful during, you know, I had some incredible experiences for quite a few years. But as you get older, you're, you know, you, you want to, you evolve anyway, um, the kind of things you want to experience. And although I still wanted to experience um, adventurous destinations, you know, traveling with the boys, we, we didn't, you know, sometimes we stayed in lovely places and lovely hotels. But we often stayed in small little places, you know, run by families, um, you know, nothing fancy, but just clean and lovely. So, um, yeah, I've always tried to have a real mixture, but staying in places that, you know, were rough <laughs> and uh, where you might get flea bites. <laughs> They were off the card. And actually, yeah. that wasn't a bad thing for me. I'd rather <laughs> a bit older. And I think I'd done that, been there and you know, got the flea bite. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, we've all done it. We've all been in a rough hustle, haven't we, to save yeah. some money? Yeah. But uh, we, we do grow out of it. So, um, yeah, that's I remember brilliant. places where I had to, you know, I remember one place in Agra, I had to wash in a bucket, but I had an uninterrupted view of the Taj Mahal, you know, from my window. So it was really basic. But the view was amazing. But, you know, I couldn't have gone there with three kids. You know, it just wouldn't have been practical and it wouldn't have been nice for them either. So it had to be safe and clean and, you know, um, yeah. But we didn't, you know, I, 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 you know, occasionally we'd go and stay in some nice resort for a few days at the end of like an adventurous trip. But on the whole, we tried to sort of keep it local and small and interesting. Yeah. So Amazing. Now, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people out there that 
that just assume and they they scare people like me in their late 20s who are thinking right in a few years I'll probably start having some kids they scare you into thinking right well once you have kids that's it you can't travel it'll never be the same again blah 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 what do you say to people who say that I think your book speaks volumes for this but what, what would you say well um Neil and I travel you know before we had kids travel was something that you know that was our big shared interest I suppose and we're very different as people but we had that in common you know and I think we both felt that having kids wouldn't stop us exploring the world and because we we'd done a lot of travel before it didn't really phase us that much I mean I can think of a few times when things felt a bit stressful but we were never put off but nothing was ever bad enough that we weren't then planning our next trip So what I would say to people is the things that you're imagining are never going to happen and other things you haven't been worrying about probably will. So you should just go with an open mind. You know, of course, you can plan for these things and you can try and avoid stressful situations, but you wouldn't go anywhere, would you, if you were always worrying about, and I am a worrier. You know, I am a worrier. I I do. You know, before a big trip, I think about all the possible things that could happen. That's my way of kind of getting them out of the way, I think. And then the minute I'm on the plane, I relax, usually. I'm exactly the same. And they're not even rational worries. Or sometimes I think I just sort of make myself stressed because if I'm not stressed, am I really going away somewhere? It's one of those. And I think, you know, probably having three other little lives to to pack for and prepare as well must be quite hectic am I right well yes hectic but um we've always tried to travel quite lightly um I'm a big one for trying to support local economies as well whenever wherever we go so a visit to a local market to buy t-shirts and flip-flops and you know stuff that you might need while you're there I think is a really nice not it's not only a nice cultural activity it's actually supporting the people of the country that you're visiting so um I kind of buy on the you know as we're as we're traveling um and we've only we only tend to it's got a bit different now the boys are older but for a long time we would just take two big soft bags with us for the five of us and we'd get to airports and people would say is that all you've got you know, but but that was enough. That was enough. <laughs> that's it. That's great. That's really nice as well that um, you shop more locally. And I know in the book, you know, the, the boys are always spending their holiday pocket money at a market somewhere, you know, finding all sorts of bizarre treasures, um, which is lovely to read. So it is nice. It's something that I've tried to do as well when going traveling, just because it, you know, especially if it's backpacking, you save your back a bit, don't you? If you sort of buy when you're there. And also it's great. It brings you, it gives you interaction with local people. I mean, when you're traveling with children, that is one of the greatest joys. So the interaction I've had with local people uh, since having the boys, you know, that that has just been wonderful. Uh, we've traveled a lot in Southeast Asia and they are so child friendly everywhere you go. And I think traveling with three boys, you know, we they just got so much attention and people would go, out of their way to help you and to talk to you and the boys are always being given little things you know little gifts in markets or little treats in restaurants and people would would seek you out to have a chat and that's been one of the loveliest things about traveling as a family 
Yeah, that is lovely. And I think as well, kids are so curious, aren't they? And you, you almost can't kind of hide away if you're traveling with children because they want to get into everything and see everything. And when you've got people that want to come up to them and interact and, you know, be playful with them, it's it's really nice. You, you sort of can't hide away. Um, so when you're writing this book, Kate, obviously you, you're looking for all of these wonderful memories and all of these amazing holidays. I mean, I think your kids had more stamps on their passport by the time they were 10 than I have in my 27 years of life. So, you know, that's great. Um, which trips stood out to you the most or, or which ones have you got sort of the most special memories from? Are there any that stand out in particular? Well, that's a difficult one because obviously through the book, I've I've chosen the trips that uh, I think have made the most impact or we've enjoyed the most. And, uh, you know, obviously there's a life lesson for everyone. But um, I, I'm going to say Mexico because that came at a time after the boy's uncle had died very unexpectedly. Um, sorry. <laughs> what if I talk about this? I guess. It's okay. <laughs> I'm going to gather myself a minute. Yeah, so Mexico came at a time when the boy's um, uncle had died very unexpectedly. And I felt that they were all struggling um, with cope. Well, not coping with it, but getting their heads around the fact that Rob wasn't here anymore. Uh, Well, we all were. And we'd supported my sister um, through, through everything. And the boys had witnessed grief you know, in in its um, rawest form. And I, I felt it was something that, you know, I, I couldn't hide from them um, and I didn't want to. And they, they had, they'd been wonderful um, supporting my sister too, but they were only aged 13, 12 and nine, uh, eight at the time. And Freddie in particular, I felt, it, it, the whole thing had caused him a lot of anxiety that he hadn't really expressed yet. And when we went to Mexico, it was to have a holiday to, to raise our spirits, really, and to just regroup as a family. Um, and I hoped that Mexico would be would heal us, really, and we'd have a chance to talk about all these things. What I hadn't really thought about was that Mexico... Um, and Mexicans have this very casual day-to-day acceptance and conversation about death. It comes up all the time. I mean, they celebrate the Day of the Dead festival in November. But, you know, there were examples right from when we arrived of people talking about death. And it became a conversation that just happened naturally while we were there. And the concept of, or the belief that Mexicans have that the last, somebody somebody doesn't die until the last memory of them fades, was the the biggest, it it was a turning point. It was such a lovely way of viewing death. And the fact that we had so many lovely memories about Rob to share, and the idea of him still being alive through those was a, was a real turning point for us. Um, and, you know, I watched the boys on that three-week trip. I saw them become lighter and, you know, laughing more again and just, just having more fun. 
And it, you know, it, it was the it was the Mexican culture that had done that. And my book is very light and breezy. There's lots of humor in it and lots of fun. Um, but there are a few moments and a couple of chapters that that do speak about more serious things. And this was one of them. I mean, there's still lots of humor in that uh, chapter as well. But um, no, that was a big life lesson for the boys. So I think that trip in particular is one that sticks out in my mind. And it's one of my favorite chapters. And it was also the most difficult chapter to write. And I remember talking to my agent and saying, I'm going to take out the Mexico chapter because it doesn't really fit in with the rest of the book. And he said to me, no, don't do that, Kate. It's important you have that one in there and, and you can do this. Oh, it took me a long time to get that one right. And now it's one of my favourites. So I'm so pleased it's in there. Yeah, no, it's a it's a lovely chapter. And I, I could feel the sort of anxiety in your voice writing that chapter when I read it, because I think I remember you you being worried about the boys. Um, one of them in particular was ask, always asking if you were okay and worried that you know you would disappear and 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 by the end of that chapter I really could tell that you you'd all sort of you know felt lighter and, and got what you needed out of Mexico so no I'm really glad that you were convinced to keep that in because I do think it's really important in the book and of course lots of funny moments as well as you said I think uh, some that stood out to me were when the boys thought they were going to Toyland and not Thailand oh I know um <laughs> that was when Josh and Ben were quite young that was our you know that's first big trip really with them and um so they were three and two and we'd had a good good flight it was the first really long haul flight we'd taken with them and just as we were you know coming into Bangkok about to land Josh turned to me and said um do you think Noddy will be here to meet us (laughs) and I said what do you mean Josh (laughs) and he'd insisted bringing with him um a little Noddy toy and I'd wondered why Noddy had come along (laughs) and uh, I said to him, what are you talking about? And he said, um, what do you think Noddy will be here? And I, I and then it clicked to me that he he re- he thought we were coming to Toyland. Not Bless Thailand. him. Oh. <laughs> and it was really funny, but I did panic a bit because, you know, in, he was so excited. And we'd been to Euro Disney, I think, about a few months before. So in his imagination, the idea of going to Toyland, that was completely feasible, you know, and so I turned to Neil and I said to him, oh, God, I think they think we're, we're coming to Toyland. They're going to get a bit of a shock. And I said to Neil, let's just go with it for now. But of course, you know, we were waiting for the taxis um, once we've got our luggage. And Josh again was saying, oh, Noddy, Noddy's a taxi driver. He'll be here soon, he, somewhere. <laughs> so I knocked it on the head quite soon and told him he was in Thailand. He was really cross with me and he was very disappointed. Um, it took him a little bit of a, you know, that I mean, that whole chapter is about getting over disappointment. Um, but uh, yeah, it was very funny. Very <laughs> I mean, funny. well handled as well. I mean, you know, you'd got him on a 13 hour flight. So it's a good decision just to go with yeah. it until you got there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. <laughs> So I've got a couple of questions for you now, Kate. Obviously, I'll put a call out to my listeners um, and and things you are sort of the family travel experts. um, A couple of people have gotten back. So the first one is from Ellie, who is a nanny, and she obviously travels a lot 
with her job with kids who aren't hers, but it's her job to look after them. And she asked if you've got any genius hacks for keeping young kids entertained on a plane while keeping toys confined to a small space and avoiding tantrums. Any tips? Well, firstly, I really feel that I should point out that I am not a family travel expert and I don't know about genius hacks <laughs> because, I mean, it makes me laugh. I'm not, you know, I'm not a parenting guru at all. I mean, the boys were all laughing because I was up on Amazon. My book was listed under parenting and doing really well under parenting. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just an ordinary mum, really. You know, I make lots of mistakes, just like everybody else, you know, so I'm no parenting guru. But that said, here are a few, I would say. Um, so I think if a child's uh, flying for the first time, definitely talk about what they're going to be doing. You know, show them a picture of a plane, at least, and maybe the inside of a plane, because often children, young children react to something that's very unfamiliar. So sometimes when you when you see kids that are getting on planes, maybe it's the first, I always think if they're really crying, it's because it's a really unfamiliar surroundings for them. So I think it's really good to talk about the journey and make the actual plane journey part of the adventure. So I think that's what I always tried to do with the boys when they were little. I also used to get them to pack their own little bags, even when they were really young. So they'd have, I remember Josh had a little Snoopy backpack and he'd have, you know, things like his teddy, his favourite teddy in there, but also a couple of little, um, you know, a colouring book and a, a new book maybe that he was excited to be looking at. Um, and I've always tried to keep to a bedtime routine. So I used to try and choose a time when the boys wouldn't be overtired, but towards the late, sort of late in the day. So not late at night, but late in the day. Um, and I'd put them in their pyjamas. I'd get them changed into their pyjamas. They'd have a little blanket and their teddy. So it still felt like bedtime. One thing that I do I remember taking and buying for the boys, and they would always have one in their backpacks, is one of those pens that you can switch the colour of rather than like a whole pack of crayons or pencils because they would just get, they just go everywhere. So you can buy these really chunky pens where you can just switch the colours. So if they had a colouring book, they weren't constantly putting pencils down and they were rolling off the trays and, oh, nightmare. Um, and the other thing is I always tried to get seats that weren't on the aisle because they're kind of cosier anyway. And I was always constantly worried about one of them leaning out and getting bashed by a trolley or catching their arm or their fingers or, you know, I mean, I, it was only recently that I was on the plane and there was a little girl and she trapped her fingers as the trolley. She put her fingers literally down as the steward was going past and she shrieked for about an hour afterwards, you know. Ooh. And no one wants to be that passenger well, with the screaming child. Do you know what? No one wants to be that mum who's, you know, coming back from Athens last weekend, there was a mum who's, little girl 18 months was on the go and crying much of the time and I really felt for her and I think that's what you forget as a mum or a nanny whoever you know you are in charge of in charge of a young child 
is that, of course, there will be a few people who are rolling their eyes and tutting, but most people will be feeling quite sorry for you, really. And um, I had one incident with Ben. Well, actually, it was the trip that we've already talked about when we were traveling to Bangkok. And the moment he got on the plane, he started crying. It was a later flight. So that's why I always was careful after that one to choose a sort of late afternoon flight. Um, And people, one woman asked, I heard her ask to move seats and I became very stressed. And that's the worst you can do because people, you know, your kids pick, pick up on that immediately. And in the end, I ended up standing up and addressing everybody (laughs) and saying, excuse me, everyone, can I have your attention? (laughs) And of course, everybody immediately look at you like you're mad. Um, But they do. They do listen. And I said, could you just give me five minutes to settle him? I know a few of you are getting frustrated by the fact he's crying, but I really hope he's going to settle down. But I'm becoming stressed because I can tell you're all unhappy. And and, and people were so nice. And um, anyway, he fell asleep. Ben fell asleep very shortly after that. And he slept the whole flight. And when we landed, people were saying to me, oh, my gosh, we didn't believe you. But that was so good that you stood up and said that, you know. Um, so I think good for you. Yeah, good <laughs> for me. That's the only time I've done it. Um, Neil was rolling his eyes and kind of, you know, but he's used to me. Um, yeah. So I, th- I think, you know, don't be worried. And the other thing is the, the stewards on the plane, they, there's nothing they haven't seen. So if things get really bad ask for their help, you know, uh, you know, that's what they're there for. And they, they, they won't mind coming and giving you a bit of help. So what else? I'm trying to think if I've got any other, I don't know. I don't know any of those are genius, but. Um, well, tried and tested that counts for something. So yeah. they're great. Brilliant. Okay. Um, well, <laughs> next up is Rachel. Rachel's asked, how did you cope with the pressure of travelling with kids to these far-flung places? I mean, I don't know, did you feel pressured in any way? Like, stressed, I think she means by that. Did you feel stressed by um, going with kids in tow? No, I don't. I've got to be honest, I don't think I was. I think uh, the stress was always a little bit before for me, and we've already talked about that. So I'd worry about everything before going. And then the minute I got on the plane, I'd relax and I'd be just be really excited and looking forward to what lay ahead. Um, the moments when, you know, I mean, I think what I'd say is um, you've got to don't sweat the small stuff. So save your stress for the big moments. So if something little goes wrong or something that is completely out of your control like a plane being delayed or you know the fact that there's bad weather and you can't you know something like that that's not in your control so what you can't be stressed about it has always been my attitude you've you've got to just go with that um and small things that happen just again try not try not to get too bothered by them you know, save your stress for those big moments. And I think if you're, if you've made that decision to, tra- I mean, travel is an unexpected thing. You know, you never quite know what's going to happen, do you? So you've got to go with that mindset. Some very good advice there, very wise. And Alec has asked, how do you think your kids' ideas and behaviours and attitudes have changed through travelling over the years? Well, I would say the biggest change has probably been their attitude to foreign food. 
So some of my biggest challenges as a mum have come with getting the boys to eat things that, you know, are a little bit different to what they, well, you know, vastly different in some places than what they. Yes. Didn't I read Camel Burger at some point? Camel Burger in Morocco. And that was really funny because two of the three of them thought it was just a cute gimmicky name for the burger. Um, I think it was Ben who had kind of realised that it was actually Camel. The other two just thought it was a nice name that they'd given. And I realised that I thought there was a good chance that they thought it was just a cute gimmicky name, but I just let them order it and, and, you know, decided I'd see what would happen. One of the things that they just wouldn't try it was chaya, which is a leafy green vegetable. And the Mexicans use it on everything. They put it on ice cream, you know, on eggs, in cocktails. And they could not stand it. They, I, get, I tried to get them to eat it. I mean, it's really good for you. But that was, I was unsuccessful with that. I mean, I've had a few funny situations. In Borneo, we went to a seafood restaurant that was built on stilts and there weren't any menus. And it was just full of tanks. And so literally you went and looked at the tank and chose what you were going to have for your supper. And the boys thought they were in an aquarium. Oh, no. And <laughs> I said, no, no, actually, this is a restaurant. And that took a bit, you know, they had to get their heads around that. But actually, that was, you know, the freshest food you could possibly wish for. So definitely attitudes to food. They've definitely become more adventurous. They've become more and more appreciative, I'd say, of the experiences they're having. And that's something that, you know, I've worked on with them. I mean, I think, you know, when you're going and spending time in places like the Serengeti, for example, you know, the National Park in in Tanzania, I did that when they were at an age where they could really fully appreciate how privileged they were to be spending time in that environment and also to be having conversations about ecology. And, you know, I wanted them to understand all the issues surrounding, you know, species being endangered, and conservation, and uh, what was going on there, and what wasn't going on, and the challenges that these countries were facing. So as well as having a nice safari, You know, I wanted them to be at an age where they could appreciate all that. And I felt that they were. That's great. And now that they're all older and making their own decisions, are they all carrying on with travelling and booking exciting trips? Well, of course, they've been through a really difficult period, you know, as young people. Josh was going to have a gap year after finishing his degree and didn't. He actually stayed on then to do a master's. So now he will have his gap year this coming year. And he, after working to save money, he plans to go to South America. Yes. So he will, he, you know, they all will, I'm sure they all will. Um, I mean, there was a time when they were little, we had a couple of experiences and I thought, oh gosh, they'll never travel anywhere. I'm putting them off travel for life. Um, You know, one of them was in Borneo when I made them walk through the what we call the Bat Poo Caves, which we still refer to as the Bat Poo Caves, which are the Gomad Caves where um, Swift Nester harvested for bird's nest soup. And the floor was covered in guano. So, uh, you know, the horrible bird and bat poo mixture. And um, they were really, really unkeen on that visit. 
but we soldiered on and we saw a, an orangutan in the wild. That was our reward for getting through the, you know, we didn't know it would be there, but there she was. And we were so pleased that we, we'd done that and persevered. It, it was an incredible moment. Um, but that, but that I, I remember walking through that cave and thinking, oh gosh, they'll never want to get any, they'll only ever go to the Isle of Wight after this. I will have put them off travel forever, <laughs> forever. I've ruined it for them, but I haven't. <laughs> No, you certainly haven't. And, you know, they're all funny stories, if nothing else. Um, That's fantastic. It sounds to me like they're three very lucky boys that have had some really transformative experiences. Yeah, they they do feel lucky. They are. They they know they're lucky. They they really do. Oh, brilliant. So I guess really, Kate, my final question for you is what have you got coming up next? Well, I'm finishing my second book. I'm on the final edit of my next book. And then my next big trip is Costa Rica. And that's in seven weeks time. And that will be third time lucky. It's been rescheduled. This is the third time. I'm super excited about that. I think it's going to be a really interesting trip. And although I've traveled and taken my chance to travel during the pandemic when I can, this is our first really um, adventure travel again. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that. Oh, sounds amazing. And what's your next book about? So my next book is a book called Mum, Mamon, Muda. Uh, Muda is the Dutch word for uh, mother and uh, Mamon French, obviously, and mum. And it's a bit more of a personal book about motherhood and what I feel I've learned about motherhood through travelling and my journey as a mother including talking about, you know, quite personal things like my postnatal depression after Freddie was born. So it didn't start off this personal. It started off as another quite breezy book like Shape of a Boy. But then I realised I couldn't really talk about motherhood and not be completely honest about the times that have been difficult as well. So it's turned, I've had to dig quite deep for this, (laughs) Um, but it's turned into a book that I'm beginning to feel very proud about. And I think by being very honest about periods that weren't so good, it'll be a much stronger and more interesting book. And we should all talk about mental health. You know, I feel very strongly about that. So yes, very exciting. And that will be published next March. Oh, fantastic. Well, we look forward to reading that. And, um, you know, honesty is the best way isn't it and I think you'll find that there are a lot of mothers out there that will relate to you so yeah I hope so it's been quite it's turned out to be quite a difficult one to write but um I'm proud of it now (laughs) well that's good that's good and your trip to Costa Rica sounds fab I'm very jealous it's on my bucket list I'm the same I've got a trip to Peru next month which third time lucky so oh yeah love Peru Okay, thank you so much for coming on. Um, Again, your book is just wonderful. And I'm really sad that I've read it all now because it was so funny and entertaining. And it gives me hope that you can travel with a family and have these wonderful adventures. So, you know, again, well done. And we look forward to reading your next book. Oh, thank you. It's been lovely talking to you.